Hey everyone, welcome to Jojo's World. Ni hao, mother truckers. What language was that? It's Chinese. Okay. Because we're in Hong Kong. Hey, fair call, yeah. fair call. Yeah. Your, your weird intro gimmick is going to have some, some direction yeah, from it now. actually has some stuff to it. <laughs> yeah. I'm Liam S. Smith, one of your co-hosts. And I'm Nick Ballantyne, the other co-host. <laughs> Today we watched uh, episode 5 of part 3 of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders, entitled Silver Chariot. It's pretty, it's pretty good. This uh, pretty covers good. chapters 125 through... Uh, 127 of the manga. You almost didn't get there, mm. and then we did. I was going to cut that flub, but I guess now <laughs> I can't. Now you can't. It's in there forever. <laughs> so, uh, thoughts about this episode, Nicholas? This is a good episode. Solid fight. It just it's happens. Just fight for the whole time, then some some exposition at the end. And then just a bit of, uh, bit of ladies. Yeah. You know? yeah. Bit of good times with Jotaro not giving a shit, and now Jean-Pierre. Yeah. 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 Now we know who he is. JPP. JPP. That's True. what I call him. <laughs> From now on, if we ever reference JPP, I'm like, who is that again? You can be like, it's Jean-Pierre Polnareff. How do you actually pronounce his last name? Uh, Pol- I say Polnareff. Polnareff. Okay. I assume that's the correct pronunciation. Sure. Excellent. It's a bit early to see in this episode because he is evil for most of it. And as we saw with Kakuin, the personalities don't exactly line up. Well. Uh, but he is probably one of my favourite characters in this, in this part, if not mm. in Jojo as a whole. Well, I mean, he is very honourable. He does seem very honourable. No, 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 it's just he's, he's a funny guy. He gets into a lot of shenanigans, but then when the chips are down, he knows how to be really cool too. Okay, alright. He's the guy of aestheticism. Yeah, well, as we see at the end of the episode, and during his fight, he's, you know, a real poser. He is a big poser. Jojo's being one, one of the few places you can say that as a compliment. <laughs> just, there's one specific pose that we both enjoy. We'll get to that in due course, yeah. though. Let's start the episode. Alright. So, um, we pick up where we left off. They're in the restaurant. There's that fire clock on the table. It, it's just burning away. Uh, Avdol repeats Polnareff's assertion that from the last episode that he'll defeat him by the time the clock burns to 12. And it's like, that's conceited, Polnareff. Uh, Mr... Mr. Whoever you are. Frenchy. My name's Polnareff. Jean-Pierre Polnareff. <gasps> we have a name for him! Avdol says, merci beaucoup. What a f- <laughs> like gratuitous French in this episode. <laughs> there is. There's a lot of non. There's a lot of we. Monsieur. Oh, what was the one? Naive. There's a lot of naive. Well, that's English too. Yeah. But... And he was speaking Japanese. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Also conceited. We. Oui. Yeah. Conceited feels like a French word. No, that's English. Shit. <laughs> Abdo's like, uh, you forgot one thing though. I have magical control of fire. And he just blows up that table. That's awkward for you now that your entire plan is gone. Oh, well, yeah. guess I have to kill you now. Guess I'm just ex- sort of exploding this restaurant we're in. <laughs> Sorry, Joseph's friend. <laughs> and I think Silver Chariot starts doing some, you know, stabby motions. Yeah. He's basically sort of vamping for this whole thing. Yeah. Polnareff says, uh, In the beginning, the world was engulfed in flames. I expect nothing less from Magician's Red that controls the flames that begin all things. Does it begin all things? Was that, a, was that clearly stated oh, under his... that signify the beginning of all things, I think there he says. There we go. That's a little Dark Soulsy. It is quite Dark Soulsy, yeah. Polnareff, <laughs> carrier of the flame. So he's like, I'm being conceited. My swordsmanship is mere conceit. Then he pulls some francs out of his pocket. Chucks them up. Chucks them up. And then as they line up, lucky for him that happened, I guess, or he's well practiced <laughs> at lining up coins by throwing them up. He's really good at flipping coins. And he's yeah. just like, I got this, guys. Don't worry. In one stab, he stabs through all of them. My God. And Jason's like, wow, that was impressive. <laughs> That's some good swordsmanship. But then Jojo says, no, look even closer. Not only did he stab those flames, I mean, those coins. <laughs> just, not only did he stab those flames, shit. <laughs> you just saw my face fall as I misspoke. <laughs> not God. only did he stab those coins, 
but he stabbed flames beneath uh, between them too and pinned them all on his sword. <gasps> Incredible swordsmanship. Wow. Not even slightly conceited. He talks about how his stand has the power to create gaps between nothingness and nothingness. Ergo, it can sever, cut, and deflect fire. I mean, I almost understood what he was going for, but I really didn't. Yeah, just go with it, you know. I, th- I think what he means is, like, I can cut between, like, single molecules yeah, in I can the air. Yeah, I can pierce space. Yeah, and I was like, okay... But doesn't that mean that every time you cut, you cause, like, a fission explosion or something? <laughs> have you ever read, um, The Subtle Knife by, um... I don't have the book on my bookshelf. I looked over there to so can see it, but I got rid of that years ago. <laughs> uh, I believe it's by Herman um, it's Melville. The sequel, the sequel to, um, Northern Lights, aka The Golden Compass. Oh. Uh, no. Okay, there's a knife in that that cuts reality and lets you go to other realities. <laughs> so, it's remi- remi- our conversation reminded me of that. Is okay. All? Yeah. I'm just trying to, like, consider how the hell that would even work, but okay. So, Polnareff keeps bragging. He's like, considering I can do this, Magician's Red is powerless before Silver Chariot. At this point, Silver Chariot vanishes, and then suddenly Polnareff is behind them, opening a door. Peace out, guys. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry about to ruin your meal, guys. I had fun. (laughs) I'm really honourable. So that means I'm going. Yeah. Had a good time. See you you around. Kill you next time. You can't stab me in the back if I'm the stabby one. (laughs) No, he, um, he's like, my stand suggests conquest and victory, so it seems appropriate that I beat you at your fullest potential, so we should fight somewhere outdoors, where you can use Magician's Red properly. Into a good open space. Ooh. Yeah. He goes, all of you, outside. Then we cut to the OP. And then there's the... Stardust. I was saying the only thing that I knew from that entire song was when he says Stardust. There's a beat where it goes like, break it down, break it down, break it down. Is that what he's saying? I think so. Because It sounds to me like, break you down, but I think I've read the lyrics and it's not not that. It's probably not that. We'll do a dramatic reading and then learn what it is. Yeah, we'll get to it in due course. But all I know is And we'll also talk about the lyrics in general at some point. Yeah. All I know is there's the... Do, 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 Stardust. That's it. That's all I know. (laughs) That's all you need, really. I'll learn it on guitar and then be like, oh, I know what it is now. After the OP, mm-hmm. Polnareff takes them outside to the Tiger Balm Garden. Which is friggin' awesome. It's this cool sort of rock garden full of, um... Like, sculptures and painted stuff. Yeah, there's tigers there, appropriately enough. It's very, uh, like... Bird. It's very, uh... I don't know if this is the right word, but very Nepalese. Where, like, it's got painted rocks everywhere. And it's all sculpted and it's all really cool. It's all really well decorated and stuff like that. It's all brightly coloured. Okay. It's friggin' dope. Yeah, yeah, that's fair to say. Uh, the narrator reforms, informs us that it's a garden along Taihang Road. It's unique in taste and appearance and one of Hong Kong's number one bizarre zones. Does that mean that it, we're going to have a bizarre... Oh, yeah, oh, we might have a bizarre fight. We might have a bizarre adventure in this zone. Oh! <gasps> You know, I felt like Sonic was really losing its um its through line between the series when it started going to the um the bizarre fight zone. <laughs> I can just I can just see it now. All it is is just sculpted rocks. Yeah. Like that's all the level. Tiger Balm Garden, also called Aubun Ho Garden, was located at 15 Taihang Road, Taihang, Wan Chai, District, Hong Kong. Excuse my pronunciation, I'm sure. Was? What do you mean was? The garden was adjoining the Harpoor Mansion and its private garden. The Tiger Bum Garden was demolished for redevelopment in 2004. The Harpoor Mansion and its private garden have been preserved. Oh, so it's still kind of there. No, just adjoining things are there. Oh, okay. 
The Hong Kong man, uh, mansion and its formerly adjoining Tiger Balm Gardens were one of three Tiger Balm Garden mansion and, mansions and gardens. The others are located in Singapore, now the Harpoor Villa, and in Fujian Province, where the gardens remain. <gasps> we could still go there. You could go to different ones that are probably aesthetically similar. <gasps> Dude, I really want to go there now. It's kind of sad, isn't it, that they're fighting this location in the 80s that's gone now. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, things things change. Yeah. It's just sort we, of a... We move on. It's like a snapshot of the uh, endless march of time, which brings us all inexorably closer to the grave. Yeah. All art is temporary, except Some, for that stuff that we uh, keep. Entropy accelerates, and eventually the universe will be a cold, lonely place with nothing in it. All things are zeros and ones, according to information theory. Just like our lives, going from yeah. zeros to yeah, ones. Yeah, man, there is no spoon. Is there, though? It feels like there was a spoon. He just bended it. <laughs> I think it was a lot more literal than I like that bit when they go to the psychic gym in Pokemon. Hmm. Uh, when There are all these psychics there bending spoons with their mind. <laughs> and Ash is like, I also know how to bend spoons. And then he grabs one and just... <laughs> did everyone look at him like, how did you do and that? like, get this dumb kid out of here. Go put him in some sort of nightmare dollhouse with the gym leader. <laughs> He's just sitting there going like, see, I bent the spoon. And then the, the gym master's like, I will literally... Warp your mind. Okay? <laughs> so we've got a stand battle going on. Oh my god, it's, it's two- it's a stand- it's a stand battles. It's- it stands. Could Polnareff be the work of an enemy stand? <laughs> oh, it's gonna be keen. It's gonna be hype. As they get in there, Polnareff is like, uh, I'm gonna make a prediction. Okay. You're gonna be destroyed by your own- your stand's own powers, Avdol. Yeah? Okay. Alright, yeah. alright, yeah, that- yeah. Okay, that sounds sound. And Abdel tells Jojo not to interfere. Like, I got this. He's, like, stepping into my territory as a fortune teller. Given Jojo, not that difficult. <laughs> Which, I think this entire episode, Jojo just stands there like, hmm, hmm. Yeah, he speaks occasionally. Yeah, literally as, look again, dumbass. Yeah. Zoom and enhance with my stand special eyes. <gasps> oh, yeah, he can do that, can't yeah. he? <laughs> Abdel is like, this is great. We're in all this open space. I can use my stand's powers freely and then... Magician's Red manifests and just looks like he's having a great time. Every time we see him, he's like, Yeah! <laughs> I think that's pretty much his motto at this point. He's just, <laughs> pretty much. fuck yeah, let's do some shit. There's some dramatic eye shots. And then uh, Silver Chariot starts attacking. There's a lot of sta- stabs and swipes. And Magician's Red is dodging with his hands crossed. Now, it, it's a rapier, isn't it? What he's using yeah, to yeah. stab, right? Okay, so rapiers don't have a sharp edge on them? Or do they? I don't know. If there's a master armorer or master bladesmith, please answer us. <laughs> I mean, there are a few points in this where Silver Chariot is used in slashing action, so it mm. seems reasonable to assume that it has some sort of cutting edge. Okay, alright. Because I always assumed it was just a stabbing motion, yeah. but that might just be fencing. Because there's an epee, which I think is just the round one with a point. Ah, okay. That must be what they use in uh, fencing contests. Yeah, I think so. Well, I think in fe- there are different forms of fencing that use different sorts of blades. Oh. There's like uh, saber fencing and epee oh, fencing. Oh, yeah. There's that badass, like, I'm going to come at you with my machetes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, inconclusive. I think it can cut when it needs to cut for okay. the plot. Yeah. <laughs> it is also literally magic. And also being hit by, like, a metal rod would hurt anyway. A magic steel blade. Yeah. Ooh. I don't know, that seems quite comfortable. <laughs> uh, and all this time, Polnareff is going, hurrah, 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 come on, come on, come, come on. Ah. It's like what we were talking about with the aura sound possibly being derived from that. Yeah. Okay. Am I allowed to know if in the future, uh, Jojo, <laughs> the spooky future, if Jojo uses aura, aura, aura in that same way? It's just the noise he makes when he does lots of punches. Right. So then, does Polnareff have his own version? Like, naive, naive, naive? <laughs> 
Uh, I don't recall precisely, but I think if he does, it would be that horror noise he was making today. Okay. No, I say noise, he's saying words in Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you! Magician's Red shoots some fireballs out of its mouth at Silver Chariot. Silver Chariot deflects them into a statue of a bird, which explodes and leaves a statue of Magician's Red. <gasps> that cunning devil. Yeah. You fit quite well in this garden, Magician's Red. I told you I could deflect your fireballs. Abdos like, oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, this is looking bad, guys. Better use my special ability. <gasps> he has a special ability. So we get this shot in which Magician's Red sort of rears its head back, starts inhaling embers, and there's kanji. And the translation for the kanji just says, suck. <laughs> so good. <laughs> like, it's all in red, and it's just... All across the screen of just... In fact, the translation... Katakana, obviously, sorry. Yeah, the katakana. But the translation was S-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-C-K. Yeah. You're like, okay. Okay, but why? <laughs> so he sucks. He sucks. Sucks hard. Polymer's like, here it comes. This is it. You ready to show your true power? And Joseph is like, oh, everyone hide. Abdul's about to do- use it. And then he just legs it off screen while Kakuin and Jojo are standing there. <laughs> Jojo's literally like, it? Motherfucker, what the hell are you talking <laughs> Crossfire Hurricane! Blah! Shoots out a big old unk made of fire. It's not even like a small unk, it's like a sizable chunk of fire. It's a significant unk. Like, we're talking an unk the size of him. Yeah. If not more so. Ostensibly, this is apparently a reference to uh, the Rolling Stones' Jumping Jack Flash. Right. First lyrics of which being, I was born in a crossfire hurricane. Ah, so let's, sneaky. Let's take that, that admittedly a little tenuous excuse to talk oh. a bit about Jumpin' Jack Flash. Oh, okay. All right. I haven't heard it, but I do okay. know about the uh, Rolling it's, Stones. It's a, good, it's a good song. Like, Rolling Stones aren't necessarily my sort of music. But, uh, you know, that sort of classic rock sort of thing. Uh, That's but, it. you know, it's a, it's a good enough song. I like it. It's a bit in Elite Beat Agents. You ever play that? Uh, elite Beat Agents? Yeah. I've it's, heard of it. It's a rhythm game where you play as uh, secret agents who inspire people to overcome their life problems through dance. <laughs> I think this is why I've heard of it. <laughs> it's good. So the lyrics to Jumpin' Jack Flash. Uh-huh. Uh, Richards has stated that he and Jagger wrote the lyrics while staying at Richards' country house, where they were awoken one morning by the sound of gardener Jack Dyer walking past the window. When Jagger asked what the noise was, Richards responded, Oh, that's just Jack. That's Jumpin' Jack. The rest of the lyrics evolved from there. <laughs> This is why I love all classic rock. It's yeah. like, so why'd you write the song? Well, this hotel burned down, and then there was smoke on the water. <laughs> so then we thought we'd write a song about it. Like, oh, genius. Humanities scholar Camille Paglia speculated the song's lyrics might have been partly inspired by, the, by William Blake's poem, The Mental Traveller. And there's a quote from that poem here. Okay. She binds iron thorns around his head and pierces both his hands and feet and cuts his heart out of his side to make it feel both cold and heat. Huh. Seems a little tenuous to me. I mean, it could be anything. It could be that they were just so high they've magically come across this incredible poem. Jagger said in a 1995 interview with Rolling Stone, the song arose out of all the acid of satanic majesties. It's about having a hard time and getting out. Just a metaphor for getting out getting out of all the acid things. I'm sorry. <laughs> satanic majesties is uh, a sh- shorthand for a previous album they've had. Oh, okay. I just thought it was like, yes, yeah, satanic majesties. I was like, holy shit, dude. That is black metal as shit. <laughs> So yeah, now we know about Jumpin' Jack Flash and Crossfire Hurricane. God damn. It's about acid and also a gardener and also poetry. Dope. <laughs> Fucking dope. And so let's talk about the Ankh then as well. 
I fucking love the Ankh as like so it's one of the symbol. one of the more ubiquitous pieces of ancient Egyptian symbology. Mm. Basically, all of their gods are depicted with Ankhs at one point or another. There's a good it's reason. Symbol depicting life, which makes sense for gods, mm-hmm. and also makes sense for Avdol, considering a his Egyptian background and b fire and c how like magicians read basically looks how you see a lot of Egyptians god yep. Egyptian gods depicted. There's yep. a big buff dude with an animal head. And maybe some weird, like, clothing on. Yeah. If you're lucky. <laughs> Although, the Ankh... The Ankh is way less subtle than you think it is. Mm. Just because it's like, yeah, life and fertility. Literally just like a tool that you use to... Yep. 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 It's a good symbol. It's a good symbol. That rain is definitely going to pick up now. <laughs> Don't worry. Think of it as calming rain. This week's JoJo's World doubles as a relaxing, uh track to help you sleep to as we incorporate the sound of real rain to help you wash away the troubles of the day. You're not doing the ASMR correctly. I wasn't trying to ASMR. Dude, we got rain. That's totally ASMR. No, ASMR is a very sort of specific physiological response to Yeah, but isn't that rain and stimuli. whispering? It's like rain and whispering. The sound of rain frequency. the Tim Roof just like makes me relax. I mean, it is very relaxing. Mm. I have a standing rule that if I'm not doing anything that day and it's raining in the morning, I don't get out of bed till it stops. <laughs> it's just so relaxing. Hello and welcome to JoJo's World, the, uh, the most relaxing podcast you'll hear this side of uh, Hong Kong. Mm. Yes. Polnareff says, That all you got? My swordsmanship can create gaps between the nothingness. Blow away flame. Oh, he blows away the flame. That was a... We're not actually doing this, are no, we? No, Okay. <laughs> So the crossfire hurricane is reflected, uh, Magician's Red and Avdol burst into flames. Uh, Avdol falls to the ground on fire, it looks real bad. Both these guys spend a significant amount of time in this episode on fire, and don't really take any injury from it. Look, it's Magician's Red, it doesn't obey the laws of physics, as we learn soon. Just as I predicted, you will die burned by your own flames, and then apparently Magician's Red leaps at Polarev. And then he's like, what?! Oh, good grief, you're going to come at me so suddenly? How unsightly. This guy is very, like... He's very aesthetic. Mm -hmm. He's very honourable. And he's very, uh... Shall we say, fashionista. (laughs) Where he's like, oh... Like, sort of flamboyant? Yeah! A little campy? He is a little campy, yeah. It's just like, oh, of course you would do that. (laughs) Oh, but, like, in that very over-the-top sort of way. Yeah, that's not... I don't really think that's something that comes along when he stops being evil. Hmm. But uh, it's a good time in this episode, at least. <laughs> it's like, oh, how could you? Because, you know, he sort of becomes a bit more sincere for understandable reasons. Yes, yes. <laughs> so he tries to slash at the magician's red leaping at him, but there's, like, weird resistance to his blow. What's going on there? Sorry, it was odd resistance. Oh, sorry. Which I find a much <laughs> Bizarre funnier... resistance. It's a much funnier word to use. He's <laughs> like, what is this odd resistance? <laughs> and then somehow Silver Chariot is engulfed in flame. He's like, what? I think it's because the statue was. <laughs> yeah, probably. But he's like, what, how did, what, but why, why am I, what? Because it wasn't the stand Magician's Red that leapt at him. It was the statue that Polnareff created earlier. <gasps> of course it was. It's so logically consistent. <laughs> but the fire on Avdol goes out. Mm-hmm. I guess he could have just done that any time. Because as we see later, he can just click his fingers and fire goes out. Boom, no fire. How yep. are you doing? You want some fire? Boom, fire. All the fire was uh, obscuring Polnareff's vision. So he couldn't see that he was cutting apart the statue of Magician's Red, which Avdol had... Melted the joints of, allowing it to move freely. Now, I had a bit of a problem with this bit. It's very minor, because it is magic fire, but... He melted stone. Yeah. He melted stone. Just straight up did. That is some hefty fire. (laughs) That is magma level fire. The joints could have been metal. Maybe. Maybe it's rebar. 
Mm. Maybe this entire time, it's like, it wasn't stone, it was just rebar. Mm-hmm. You're like, wow, that's a powerful stone. He does the crossfire hurricane again. This time it hits um, Polnareff and Chariot. They fly backwards into the air, smoking. <laughs> and he's like, I believe it's ten years too soon for you to fight me, a fortune teller, using predictions. You fucking scrub. <laughs> Don't step to me on my home turf, man. <laughs> you come here on my journey. To my home. Try to out fortune tell me. I don't think so. <laughs> now they are, they all start talking about Polnareff as if he's dead. Yeah, he's just there being like, ow. He's lightly smoking and they're like, his stand has been melted, obviously. Uh, he's a scrub. He'll be lucky if he's dead because if he isn't, he'll be horribly burned forever. He has gotten, as it were, wrecked. Anywho, let's go to Egypt. So, we're off. Peace out. And they all turn around and start leaving. And then... Silver Chariot explodes. Into a number of pieces. Yeah, we see smoke and we see pieces trailing off into the air. And then our man JPP, while still lying down, is launched bodily into the air somehow. And Kakuin is like, what? He's just flown into the air. While still lying down. But that, what? And then we see him floating back to the floor, chest to the sky, head stretched back to look at them, clapping his hands. Oh no. Bravo, bravo. You fools. <laughs> why, well, he's perfectly fine. And why, fl- why is he flying? Why don't you look with your inner eye? And then we see a very faint trace of Silver Chariot beneath him holding him up. And then he's all like, yep, that's right. I'm still alive. He does this sick manoeuvre where he somersaults into the sky and then lands on his feet. Wait, was he doing a backflip or a front flip though? Front, I think. How the hell did he manage that? He was like, well, he, he's stand through him, basically. But and he curled into the fetal position like a ball. But then wouldn't he be twisting as well? Not if he didn't put any spin on it. Magic. Yeah. That's it. It's all magic. He lands, and he's like, my stand took its armor off, so now it's really fast. <laughs> like, that that's a thing now, apparently. It wouldn't be honorable to, ex- to defeat you without explaining my powers first. Will you let me explain? And after I was like, sure. Go for it, buddy. <laughs> So what we saw, thought was Silver Chariot exploding it wasn't Silver Chariot exploding, it was taking its armour off. And he was only lightly injured on account of that armour. So now Spo- he's... Spoiler alert. <laughs> Once Polnareff becomes a protagonist, that armour isn't nearly as effective. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Does that armour come back, though? I mean, yeah, honestly, without giving too much away, I think it only takes its armor off ever once more. Okay. It's literally way too inconvenient to do that, because every time it takes armor off, what we don't see is the three hours of him running away, finding the dragon. Yeah, being like, oh, here's another piece, cool. Now to find the next dragon ball. (laughs) (laughs) If only you could create some sort of silver chariot radar. Uh, Yes, I use the piece of armor that I still have to, like, as it spins around his hand. (laughs) So, yeah, they keep fighting. And fight they do. Well, briefly. Abdul's shooting heaps of fire and... Oh no, first before they do that, Silver Chariot stands up behind Polnareff and then there are seven of it. And Joseph is like, what? But there are six of them now. Wait, wait, no, there's seven of them now. But I thought a person could only have one stand. What's going on here? Dramatic lines. There's a cool shot where they're all like in a line really close to the camera. Uh, I don't really know how to describe that framing. But one by one, a line of light shoots up each of their swords. And it's like they're all standing sort of parallel to one another. Mm. Like perfectly parallel, all in line, all in formation. Sword just like coming down diagonally across the screen. And you're like, oh. Polaref describes them as shadow clones, Mm. but I think probably after images is probably more accurate. Yeah. Unless it's moving so quickly that it's leaving these mirages in its wake. Yeah. So it's kind of so fast that there are now seven of them. Yeah. It's good shit. Though I think the implication is that... 
it's it's moving so quickly that you can see them all at the same time. Yeah. But only one of them is actually the real one. Or, or rather the motion between them, I guess, is the, the real one. Yeah, you've got a one in seven chance of hitting it, and guess what? That's low chances. Yeah. Because by the time you can see it, it's probably already gone. That's less than 33%. That's already pretty shit. So... Not only confuses your eyes, but your senses. How can you follow its movements now? They fight. He's shooting fire. He does that red bind thing he did to Jojo in the first episode. Except he tries, like, to hit three at once, apparently. Yeah, just doesn't work. Just just hit Polnareff. He's just standing still. <laughs> just burn him. You were just like, why not just hit Polnareff, huh? Why not just hit him? Stand battles in future, uh, especially from part four onwards, become much more about, like, I'm going to use my stand to beat up you, the user, right now, rather than trying to, like, Pokemon battle our stands. Yeah. I guess that makes more sense, considering that if you kill the man who's controlling the stand, the stand might not do anything anymore. Yeah. Then again, maybe it might. It might vary from case to case. Joseph's is just like, yeah, look, if you hit me... uh, And a purple grows. (laughs) It grows. No one can see anything, though, because I'm the only one that sees things. But it still works, right? It still Strikes me down and I've become more powerful than you can ever imagine. <laughs> it still destroys cameras. <laughs> Fujifilm goes under that one day yep. where he's like, yeah, it grows. It just destroys every camera in a 30 mile radius. The fight breaks for a sec and we get our title card. Stand name. Silver Chariot. Stand master. Jean-Pierre Polnareff. Looking beautiful. So let's talk about Polnareff while we have this little moment. So this isn't the true Polnareff. But it is still Polnareff. Yes, yeah, so well, I've got notes for Polnareff here. Okay. And we discussed the Tarot of the Chariot last week, so yep. we don't need to do that this week. Yes! Got away with it. As we, I think we alluded to last week, he became the inspiration towards the King of Fighters character, Benimaru Nikaido. Ah, Benimaru! That's his... Uh, yes! And a st- a- allegedly, uh, the developers continue to refer to Benimaru as Polnareff to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Benny Maru isn't French, though, is he? I don't know. I don't really know anything about King of Fighters. I think he's just a cool dude. No, right. we're just like, yeah. Does I'm he have a flat kid. top? He do- Okay, so Benny Maru uh, has the power of lightning. So he has like a blonde flat top, but it's a lot taller than Polnareff. Polnareff has like the mullet as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can definitely see the resemblance. They wear the same yeah. sort of like tank toppy thing too. Yeah, I'm only seeing that White now. White pants. Yep. I don't think he's French, though. I think he's actually just straight he's up He's got a Japanese, Japanese name, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he has the power of lightning, and one of his moves is that he just shoots out a literal ball of lightning. Cool. He can also encase himself. Oh, wait, no. No, he can't shoot lightning, but he can, like, punch, and then lightning, like, comes out of it slightly. So oh, yeah. So it's, like, encases his fist, or encases his entire body. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, he's a cool guy. Not very mobile, though. <laughs> he's, uh, he's more of a standstill, look cool guy. <laughs> right. So I also have my, uh, I have the Jojonium note for Polnareff here. A lot of this, a lot of this note referred to things that have happened in the future. So I've just cut out the best bits of it oh, that we can talk about now. God damn it. All right. One day I'll be able to engage. No, I mean to say like... I have kept the best bits of it. Oh. And I will, when we get to the relevant bits, as with other characters, I will bring them up when okay. I can. All right. One day I'll be able to engage in everything and I'll be like, oh, I know things. <laughs> Today's not that day. Jotaro is the main character, of course, and Joseph is the navigator. Polnareff was the best answer I could come up with for a personality and visual appearance that would be able to stand uniquely apart from those two. He makes up for what the two Joestars can't do. So he may have always been special to me. Laughs. When he's with Jotaro and Joseph, Polnareff becomes a character who can both tell jokes and act serious. Yeah, that makes it. Yeah. Yeah. That seems right. Yeah. And they talk a bit about his role in the story, but I didn't really want to get into that because I think it would give too much away at this stage. Lastly, about the name uh, Jean-P Polnareff, my three favourite French people are Alain Delon, Jean-Paul Bermondo, and the singer Mikhail Polnareff, or Michel, I don't know, M-I-C-H-E-L. Uh, it's probably Mikhail. Okay. Yeah. 
So I was influenced by their names. And back then, the first French singer that came to my mind was a... Oh, sorry, the first French name that came to my mind was Jean-Paul. There's also a famous chocolatier named uh, Jean-Paul Havant. So uh, it probably feel the same way now. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I looked into uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo. Mm-hmm. He's a French actor associated with the New Wave movement. <gasps> Here we go. Two of his biggest films were Breathless from 1960 mm-hmm. and uh, That Man from Rio, uh, 1964. That Man from Rio? Yeah. I think my dad tried to make me watch that film. It's uh, sort of a noir thing, I think. Right. No, no, it's a um, sort of pulpy adventure thing. Yeah. Like, I haven't seen it, but I assume it's sort of in the vein. Sort of um, sincerely doing the same sort of thing that Indiana Jones tried to recapture for the modern era. Okay. All right. So just high-octane action. Sort of like a Doc Savage sort of thing. Yeah. Fun times. Pulp. Mikhail Polnareff is a French singer-songwriter from the 1960s through the 1990s. Now, the thing about this Polnareff guy, the singer, (laughs) is that for someone who I've never heard of, he must have a lot of very strict control over his IP. Because to my knowledge, this anime is the first time they've not had to change Polnareff's name. Huh? What? In what? localization. What, what else have they changed it in? Uh, in the fighting game. Okay. And in, um, I think, the fighting game, and in the previous OVA of Stardust Crusaders. Oh. In which he was known as Eiffel. Eiffel? Because friends, France, right? Jean-Paul Eiffel. Jean-Pierre Eiffel. Jean-Pierre Eiffel. Yeah. And in uh, the recent um, All-Star Battle and Eyes of Heaven games, he's just known as um, Jean-Pierre. Huh. Huh. That's awkward. Yeah. That's really weird. Was it in... Maybe not All-Star Battle, but definitely in Eyes of Heaven. That's super weird. Maybe it's just because people couldn't be bothered pronouncing Polnareff. <laughs> no, certainly not. And they're just like, Jean-Pierre... I- Eiffel. It's not a hard name to pronounce. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. If you're Japanese, it might be a bit... Yeah, I'm tricky. talking about English, though. Yeah, English, yeah. Wait, so even in localization stuff, it's still... Only in localization stuff. Well, okay, hang on. Only in localization? Because of copyright issues. Really? Yeah. God damn it, copyright. It's a man's name. Why can't he just accept that he was named after him and, you know, go with it? It's a cool character. It's an homage. If I could, I'd have a single tear happening right now, but I can't. Because you're incapable of crying? God damn right. I had your tear ducts removed surgically. I I refuse to uh, believe. It's really bucketing down. I'm sure it'll get better. So they fight. There's a colour shift so that Magician's Red and all its fire is purple. It looks pretty cool. It's pretty dope. Uh, he's only hitting the Shadow Clones, and then he's like, Oh, you're striking at random now. Are you desperate? Because he did the crossfire hurricane and it just hit the ground. I think it literally like hit the ground, did a little hurricane. Mm. It wasn't really a hurricane. It just sort of like looked like it was burning out. Yeah, it looked like something you'd see in Ohio or something. Yeah. And then just, yeah. He's like, No, 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 no. Your attack will not work against my stand, monsieur. Now... There's not a strong French accent, but my god, do they know some French words. Yeah. So are you feeling better about his Frenchiness now? No, not at all. <laughs> it's just like, even in this, they're just like, no, 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 no. And it just sounds like, no, 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 no. I'm like, ah, oh, it's so close. Polnareff counterattacks, and he cuts little unks into Avdol's cheek as just like a gloaty thing to do. He could have just killed him. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, such precision. <laughs> this is a stand ability that's been highly trained. And Polnareff is like, I have my reasons, and for a certain reason, I trained for ten years. Not to be vague, but for <laughs> a certain reason. Did we talk about The Princess Bride on air or off air? Uh, off air. Okay, because I think there are some, I don't know if it's deliberate, but there are some some similarities between Polnareff and... Inigo Montoya? Yeah, mm. in that we'll get to the backstory stuff in a bit, but there's a thing about the, the right-handed man and the um, dead sibling, or dead... Dead family system. member. Yeah. And the swordsmanship, obviously. Mm. And 
possibly this could if it is deliberate which it's, it's possible I think I don't know if the movie was out by this stage but the book certainly was yeah the book would have had to have been if you recall when Anigo has Count Rugen cornered he um he cuts his cheeks he does yeah things like fuck you yeah and this could be quite similar to that yeah except now it's unks <laughs> yeah <laughs> of course you could add a certain layer of fabulousness to all of it it's true never sacrifice aesthetic yeah I want my father back you son of a bitch but first, fuck, that's a good movie. Oh, dude, it's amazing. Shit. Can we just watch The Princess Bride after this? Yeah, let's do a <laughs> let's do a podcast episode where we watch The Princess Bride. Yeah. Is it was um was the movie the parody or was the book the parody? Well, the thing about the book is it it um it pretends that it is a an abridged version of a larger like Tolkien esque book, right? When in fact it's just a, a standalone novel. Yeah, but and then the movie is an adaptation of that, right? But was. Was The Princess Bride the book meant to be funny? I believe so. Okay. Because I remember my dad going and on like, oh yeah, so there was this book and then everyone just made, oh wait, no, that was Airplane. <laughs> or Flying High, whatever you want. Because apparently- I haven't actually read The Princess Bride book, that's just my understanding uh, of the matter. Okay. All right. Never mind. Hmm. Two guys are having a stand battle in the Tiger Balm Garden. Yep. They do thousands of dollars worth of this irreplaceable is... damage, and this is why it needs to be renovated in 2004. Yeah, like, one of the statues has been turned into something else and then been used in combat. Yep. And like, ooh, that's awkward. <laughs> Avdol is like, hey, my Crossfire Hurricane can do more than just shoot fire at you. It can also break up into lots of tiny little unks and fly around wherever I, I want. And uh, Polnareff is like, yeah, no shit, you've been doing that. Yeah. But uh, guess what? I naive, have a shit Naive, naive, me. naive. Yeah. <laughs> Many naives. Yep. So French. So he's like, just try and dodge this. And then all the silver chariots form a circle around Polnareff. And he's like, oh, you're so naive. I'm just going to blow it back against you again. So conceited. And he rears back to do that. And then the ground beneath him erupts and explodes and he's engulfed in flame. <gasps> what? But how could it have happened? Well, it turns out Avdol had a cunning plan to outwit uh, Polnareff. What? You see... When he shot the ground early with that crossfire hurricane... I follow. Yeah. He didn't just let it burn out like it looked like. It actually dug a tunnel back to where he was. <gasps> of course it did. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Logical. <laughs> and this time, when he fired his crossfire hurricane, some of it broke off and went through that tunnel underground. What? Yep, okay. Oh, no, hang on. It didn't tunnel back to him. It just made a tunnel. Yeah, I thought and it this literally time, just stayed this there. This time, Avdol... I must have been over near the entrance or shot his fire over there. Yeah. Because he shot the fire through the tunnel. It burst out from underneath Polnareff and engulfed him in fire like we saw. I thought it was literally, oh yeah, I made that thing go in there and then it just stayed there. Oh, I, I don't think so, but I guess I can't refute that. It was just a flame there. And then he was like, cool, I got a flame there. Now. I'm pretty sure he shot a second one through a pre-made tunnel. Oh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> we can watch it again, yeah. right? Because he talks about how it can break apart and go in multiple different directions. Yeah, yeah. So, Avdol's won. Polnareff is burning to death. Yay! <laughs> He's just dying. Avdol takes out a dagger and throws it in front of him. He's like, hey, kill yourself. <laughs> Literally, he's like, y you can kill yourself with this because death by fire is a terrible it death. Sucks. It sucks. You'll literally burn to death. That is my, like, least favourite way I want to die. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Number one is space. That's most favourite. That's most favourite yeah. way to die. Space. I've always wanted to die in space. Quick, cold, instantly cryogenically frozen. Just, Maybe you'll come back. Yeah. Just shooting out there with cars. My eyes go all cool and red. Yeah. So yeah, he throws his knife down at him and starts walking away. And that sad piano music from last time kicks in again. 
It's really sad. It's really piano. There's a, there's a really, I really like this moment where first Polnareff, he grabs the knife. He looks at it. First he rears up as if to throw it at Abdul. Then he stops and closes his eyes, brings it up to his cheek, uh, his chin. As, as if, if to, to kill himself. Yep, and then stops and just lays down and is like, what does he say? It's so stupid. I really want to just... Uh, it was like I was conceited. Yep, I was conceited. Couldn't imagine your flames would uh, stand up against my swordsmanship. And then the line, I'll be a good sport and burn to death after all. <laughs> <laughs> after the speech, Avdal is like, oh, great. Click. You're not on fire anymore. I knew you'd be honourable, even in death. Yeah. He was so chivalrous. He was a worthy adversary. Let's rummage around in his hair a bit and see if he's, if he's on our side. So they have a look. And this time, the hair's actually covering uh, the thing. Yes. But... He was just like, yeah, you're so honourable, even though you're a slave to Dio. Yeah, he says, um, even now you remember to be chivalrous. You did not throw that dagger when my back was, tur- back was turned. Despite having orders from Dio, your proud honour shines through. It would be a shame to kill you. There's a flesh bud there, and they're like, Jojo, take care of this. I, I like this shot, where <laughs> the camera is centred on Joseph, hmm. and he's like being like, ugh, gross. He's just in the corner of the screen. A lot of tentacles are just going nuts. Yeah, like a shit ton of tentacles. Significantly more than we're in Kakuin's head. <laughs> I think it's because they were like, okay, we know what to do. And then took it out and then they were like, oh, wait, hang on. We forgot there would be tentacles yeah. this time. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, yeah, jo- Jojo pulls it out. It burns to ash in the sun. And Joseph was like, ah, make it stop. Now he says, like, he makes a quiet. really bad pun here that really gets uh, Jojo's ire. <sighs> He's like, now that the flesh bite is gone, we can be budies. Ta-da! With the unconscious polar <laughs> No one's laughing. No yep. one's laughing at all. Kakuine, don't guys like him who make stupid puns piss you off? End scene. <laughs> the next shot we get is by the pier? Yeah, they're at the harbour. Yeah. If you recall, near the end of last episode, Joseph was making a phone call to charter a boat. Mm. We didn't know it was a boat at the time, but now we do. Yep. And it was a, it was a friggin' sweet-looking traditional boat mm-hmm. as the first shot. By the Speedwagon Foundation. No, not, not that boat. No, 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 not that boat. And then we get another boat. Yes. <laughs> that is big, luxurious, arguably a cruise liner. So they're walking past, like, all these shipping containers. Mm. And I don't think we saw the boat this episode, actually. Yeah, we did, didn't we? It was all, like, white and then with a bit of black on it. That does describe the boat they get on, but I don't recall seeing it. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It's like a yacht. Yeah. And then Jean-Pierre Polnareff steps out in front of them and is like, Hey guys, one more thing. I haven't thanked you. And they're like, thank Jojo. And Jojo's like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, just like, I don't need your thanks. Well, there's no one to accept your thanks then. Time to start explaining my backstory. Monsieur Jostar, you don't happen to have two right hands, do you? What a bizarre question. That is a bizarre question. Yeah, he says, uh, forgive my curiosity, but even while eating, you didn't take off your gloves. Your left arm wouldn't happen to be a right arm, would it? Uh, and then he sort of slowly takes off the glove. Yep. He's got a cyborg hand. Oh yeah, I lost it in a battle 50 years ago. You see a lot of image ac- macros of people editing this. So he says, I lost it in a car accident or a car's accident. Oh, uh, that's genius. And I it's... don't want to like it, but I love it. Don't you just hate people who make bad puns like that, Kakuin? Damn. So they're like, hey, tell us more about why you're looking for a guy with two right arms who killed your sister. <laughs> You know, it's moments like this that really hammer home how great this show is. <laughs> so we get a flashback. It's France. Three years ago. Oh, three. Hang That's on, a... yeah, that doesn't add up, because earlier he said he was training for ten years. Yeah, I thought he said ten years ago. I'm pretty sure at the start of this flashback he said three years ago. I thought he said ten. We'll look into this. I'll get back to you next week. Okay. Don't correct me on this, I'll do it myself. <laughs> correct him. <laughs> His sister was walking home from school one rainy day in France, uh, along with a classmate, and there was a man 
with his back to the back to them on the roadside. He was weird looking. Yep. And the, even though it was raining, the rain didn't land on him as if there was some sort of invisible dome around him. Ooh. Now, this this rain thing. This is this is a real sticking point. Uh-huh. Because Spoiler alert! Uh-huh. When they spoiler alert, they eventually meet this guy in the series. I thought they would, yeah, because <laughs> it's not a completely dissatisfying plot. And I'm guessing that it doesn't happen again. Well, we find out what his power is because obviously they fight him. Uh huh. It has nothing to do with anything that could possibly stop rain from falling on you. <laughs> I just like to think that it's gonna be like a dude that's just like this. <laughs> it's like arched over him or something. Well, that's what you would think, wouldn't you? Yeah. Because, you know, stands like Star Platinum and stuff have physical presence. Yeah. Here's one. Not no. really. Oh, okay. It's not like Joseph's. <laughs> no. Where it's like not really I don't, don't want to give anything away. Oh, I don't okay. want to give anything away. All right, fine. I'll, I'll maintain my chastity yeah. for the sake of the show. <laughs> Ooh. You'll find out eventually. Okay. All right. So yeah, he's there. He's not raining on him for some reason. Maybe it's just another thing like having two right arms. <laughs> <laughs> and his sister is... Her chest is suddenly cut open. <gasps> no, sorry, his sister's friend. Yeah, his sister's friend just dies. No, she doesn't die. She, su- she survives. Oh, and yeah, that's how true. he knows. No, she she's, yeah. she's grievously wounded. Quite badly. Yeah, that like, would hurt. Her entire, like, front she just explodes, explodes in, in blood. blood. <laughs> in true anime fashion. Yeah, highly pressurised anime blood. <laughs> and then he says his sister was shamed and killed. Which is dark as fuck. Yep. So, we all know what that means, don't we? We get a shot of uh, two right hands strangling her. Yeah. And her eyes are shut and crying. Yep, it's it's, it's probably one of the grimmer moments of this part, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, France is not a happy place in the countryside when you're getting shamed and murdered. Is anywhere? Good point, good (laughs) point. So, yeah, he did that, then he left, and her friend barely survived and told everyone, but no one believed her, but Paul Nerf was like... I believe you, because I know what stands are. Yeah, because I have one. Yeah, and I'm gonna... Okay, yeah, sweet moment. He says, I swore. And then he strikes this pose. I swore my sister's soul would not be able to rest until he atoned with his death. I will use my stand for retribution. So this pose. This can... Okay. He's got his hands sticking out in the air. Yep. His body... It's sort of like in a push-up plank No, no, he's standing. I'm sorry. He's standing? Yeah. What the fuck? His knee, one of his knees is like, you know, beneath his body. Yeah. And the other one, the other leg is stretching right back diagonally such that he is really close to the ground. So he's kind of like making a really long step. Yeah. But it looks like, I mean, to me, it looked like he was doing like a push up without his arms. No, 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 no. But the perspective was also just him like that. Well, I suppose if you were doing it without your arms, it would be the same principle. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And then there's like disco lighting over the whole thing. Because so if you recall, he is Disco Jojo. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all like purple and green. Yeah. And dark. Manly. And then a year ago, I met Dio. <gasps> he met Dio? Yeah. Ooh. There's a flashback. A man who we, we can surmise is Dio is putting incense in one of those incense pots and using a Hermit Purpley stand on a crystal ball. I'm not saying his stand is just Hermit Red. But it is red, it is thorns, I think and that's, it is clairvoyance. I think that was just the lighting. Alright. Because okay. it was purple the last time we saw it. Okay. Then it's probably Hermit Purple. <laughs> well, it's just a stand. It's just an unnamed stand that I thought we never saw again, but after this point, I'm more certain we never see it again. <laughs> it's like, we see it next episode. Okay, I'm more certain yet again. <laughs> Reach the end of the series, we see it again. Okay. We don't see Dio again, so I'm pretty sure <laughs> we're never going to see it again. <laughs> I'm allowed to get things wrong sometimes. There's a lot of Jojo to keep track of. Uh, no, that's why you're here. 
yeah, there's a crystal ball. Yeah. And it shows an image of a man with two right hands. He's sort of like... His arms are behind no, yeah. him. No, they're actually in front of him. Are they? Oh, he's can't see that. his face. Yeah, yeah, and he's like holding them out dramatically, yeah. tensing now, his muscles. I guess we should probably talk about what two right hands means for... We have at least a couple of listeners who listen who don't, don't watch the show. Oh, yes. So he doesn't have two arms on the right side of his body. He has two hands, uh, the finger configuration of which is like a right hand. The palm faces to the left of your body. Look at your right hand. And, and when it does that, the thumb is on top. Superimposed Just look on at your left. right hand Yeah, and imagine it's on your left hand It's not hard, guys I don't know why I'm explaining this in such detail I, If I have to Photoshop two right hands if only I will there, do it If only there was some sort of Some sort of existing image We could just get a grab of And put it somewhere To show people We're shit out of luck, aren't we? <laughs> yeah So yes um, Something's bothering you Says Dio Oh, while he's talking He's got this sweet hawk Sitting on his shoulder Okay, it's not a hawk It's a though. falcon, actually, I think it looks like an owl falcon. It's a falcon because it's wearing one of those falcon hats. A feagle. No, it's a falcon. Oh, okay. It's just there like, what the fuck are you doing you know, here? This um, is my Dio. And it just doesn't move the whole time. Yeah, it's just looking at it <laughs> ominously. It's wearing one of those, um, those falconry hats, you know, that they, they take them off and the falconer has their falcon fly away. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing, but You know, sure. falconry. Like one of the rich people hobbies. I thought it was just the glove. Yeah, the glove and you put a hat on it. and you then put a take hat the, on it. Yeah. Oh. It's like a blindfold thingy. Oh. And then when you take it off, it knows, I guess that it's daytime. <laughs> I don't know. It knows it's time to fly. Apparently the hardest part of falconry is the first time you let them fly. Because <laughs> sometimes they just don't come back. <laughs> just like a, okay, now remember, fly back to me. I'm trusting you. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh, time to buy another bird. Either that or they've got their, like, butler Jeeves that just shoots them down, nurses them back to health, and it's like... <laughs> Oh Come no, it's been me. tainted by lead. Now you have to eat it. <laughs> Why would you eat it if it's been tainted by lead? Well, we can't use it for falconry anymore. Mm. Certainly not. Yeah, but why would you eat it? Give it to the dog. Yeah. The dog can die. Something is bothering you. You're in pain. Stick with me and then disappear from your heart. What's shown in the crystal is the source of your pain, yes? Let me help you. I have pain of my own. My body cannot go into the sun. Help me and I shall find this man for you. Hair shoots out in the tendril with a spike on it. It shoots towards Polareff. He screams. End of flashback. Grim. Yeah. Well, I mean, less grim now that we know the ending, but yep. still grim. And then I was ordered to kill you. I mean, it's just that crazy, am I right? I believed it was the right thing to do. I think it's Abdul is like, that was partially the flesh bud and also partially his skill at manipulating others. Well, actually, he's a vampire, so uh, I think it wasn't entirely the bud there. Well, but... I mean, Dio was a pretty good manipulator even before oh, he hell yeah. became a vampire. Remember when he stole all of, J- all of Jonathan's friends? Man. Man, what a dick. And was like, hey, I'm g- I beat Jojo in a boxing match by cheating. I'll teach you how, but don't tell him because he can't keep a secret. What an asshole! And everyone was like, yeah, that seems reasonable. Yay, Dio! Fuck you, Jojo. Seems like a great chap. Yeah. Except that Jojo guy. Shame he has to live with him. So, yeah. That's the story. That's the story of Jean-Pierre Pondereff. Sister murdered by a guy with two right hands. He's on a quest for vengeance. Somehow from this story, Joseph surmises that Dio has probably found the man with two right hands and joined forces with him. I don't know how that's the case, but okay. Yep. And turns out that is the case. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, Pondereff is like, I'm going to Egypt too. If I come with you, maybe I'll find this guy and kill him. And then we get the sick shot of him with his tarot card. Yeah. Jean-Pierre Polnareff. Stand silver chariot. Power, fast and precise swordsmanship. Not splendid though, is it? No. No. Really missing out (laughs) on the... uh, Sweet adjectives. Yeah, the magnitude of goodness. 
So they're all like, yeah, you'd probably just follow us anyway, so you can come. It was literally like, yeah, you'd probably just come with us, so... Yeah. Jojo's like, good grief. And then some women tap him on the shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Before he has the opportunity to say his magic line... You know, we give a lot of... We give Jojo a lot of shit for shouting at all the women he encounters a lot. But from what we've seen... Everywhere he goes, women are so attracted to him, they can't help but throw themselves at him. And I imagine that would get frustrating after a while. But as we see, it's the exact opposite reaction as Polnareff. Yeah, because they're like, can you take my photo? Uh, yeah, great, here's the camera, we want our backs against the ocean. Good God! Internal monologue. I'm going to use this as my chance to get to know this handsome guy. Get away from me, bitches, you're fucking annoying. Yeah. This is uh, a... Polnareff swoops in. Hey, 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 I'll take your picture for you. Oh, you have lovely legs. Let's get a whole body shot. Yeah. Oh, this is nice, isn't it? And then we, and we get... see the camera and he's just taking a picture of their, like, skirt line. He's like, oh, this is lovely, isn't it? But All then, right. Then he go. does, like, take a vertical photo yeah. too. Now let's just get that wonderful body. Yep. And he says, I want you to push, push, push your hearts towards mine. <laughs> and then Joseph is like, hmm. Or is it Joseph or Abdul that's like, hmm, his personality is well, first, quite different. I think Abdul says, I don't understand his personality. <laughs> <laughs> it's made an abrupt change, yeah. And then Joseph says, more like his head and his lower half are very clearly separated. <laughs> so you got your womanizing character. Yes! You predicted we would get one eventually, and yep. you got it. Oh, thank fuck. <laughs> <laughs> On the world map, Jojo was spun around and Polnareff has walked into his body. The party has been completed. Yep. Okay, yep. we've got the bad boy. We've got the bad boy that wants nothing to do with women. Yep. He's just like, get away from me, bitches. Gotta save my mum, who's a bitch. We've got Joseph, who's the cool old guy yep. that all the young ladies are like, oh, but he's a very attractive he's the man. Yoda, he's the Yoda figure. He's the Yoda figure. Or Ben Kenobi, at least. We've got Kakuine, who's the shy, reserved young man. He's sensitive, he's intellectual. He's so, well, what's the word? Not gentlemanly, because that's going to be Polnareff. Mm. He's sort of like, he's kind, he's giving, he's generous. He's that... Yeah. Wonderful young man. He's the he's the um he's the the pretty boy of the group. Yeah, the pretty if boy. If they weren't also pretty. Yeah. Abdul is the He's serious, he's uh he's mi- mission minded. He's objective set. He's very smart. Probably smart. the smartest one there. Yeah, he's the intelligent tough guy. Yep. And then we've got Polnareff, who is the Frenchman. Kakuin could also be the smart one as well, I guess. Yeah. But Kakuin's smart in a different way. Because Kakuin keeps being like, oh, guys, I've been to Hong Kong. I know this is the Tiger Balm Garden. Yeah, he's learned. Yeah. Oh, he's, no. he's, he's cultured. He's young, point. but he's travelled a fair bit. Yeah. So he's kind of like, I know cultures. Whereas yeah. Abdul is like, I know very intricate details about bugs. So I know my shit, guys. I'm academic, all right? Yeah. And Jean-Pierre Polnareff, who was the uh, flamboyant chivalrous knight. Who, by the way, I think I'm going to grow very close to. I, I very much like Polnareff. <laughs> I think you and Jay had a bet. Friend of the show, Jay. Yeah. Uh, who I would like the most. I think I know which one you guys are talking about I now. don't actually remember this. Oh, okay. All right. Now Jojo gets to say his good grief catchphrase and to be continued. It's literally like, good grief. <laughs> yeah. Good app. Good app. Solid stand battle, although I think it does pale in comparison to some future ones. Ooh. Okay. All right. It was very like... Pokemon-y. You know how before we were saying you like the battles that are very quick, sharp? Yep. I have outlogged you, that's the end. This was sort of like a back and forth. Yeah, and I think though I think the, the decisive blow in this Avdol's secret crossfire hurricane mm. attack does have that sort of cerebral element. Mm. It's like, I see I can't hit you, but uh, hatch an attack that you can't see and, and hit so you. So good. Yeah. 
It's like the Deus Ex Machina, but it's a good Deus Ex Machina. Well, no, because like... that's a very specific thing that that, 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 that yeah. isn't. But at the same time, it's like Deus Ex Machina is specifically when God saves the character. Yeah, that's true. That is true. When yeah. it's literally just completely so named random. from Greek uh, theater, where at the end of the show, like Zeus would just come down and save everyone. <laughs> it was a simpler time back then. Simpler stories. <laughs> oh no, we're screwed. Ah, fuck it. I got it. And then it became came to refer to like, oh no, we're trapped in this cave. Oh no, great! A earthquake, ju- an earthquake just happened and yep. saved us. Yeah, and then it's been gradually diluted to the point where it's anything that isn't immediately obvious by people who don't really know how to use the term properly. <laughs> well, it's still one of those things where um, if it's not pointed to to remind you in the story, you kind of go, "Oh, well, it's unimportant." And that's, then it that's comes not a Deus Ex Machina, though. No, no, no. But I'm saying like it's one of those like normal storytelling techniques where you've got the setup, the reminder, and then the payoff, like a Chekhov's gun. Yeah. I guess. Are you familiar with that? No. That's... Okay, you know Anton Chekhov? Yes. The playwright? No. Okay. Yes, yes I do. Yeah. He conjectured that if in a play, mm-hmm. and it's been extrapolated to other forms of media, yep. you have a gun hanging on the mantelpiece, uh-huh. that gun must be fired by, I think he says, the end of the first act for satisfying <laughs> storytelling. Oh, okay. I mean, that makes sense. Otherwise, then. it's like, why is that gun there? Yeah, pretty much. That's and then exactly when it happens, it's like, oh, that gun was there the whole time. Yeah. Pretty much. So, yeah, it's that idea. It's why Suicide Squad did so poorly. I didn't see that. Um, I watched a video about bad editing where this guy from Folding Ideas, um, he was talking about how you have that whole, like, setup reminder payoff. So the worst one was with, like, uh, this, like, pink unicorn where one of the guys... (laughs) This movie sounds very different from what I imagined. Look, it's meant to be, like, so fun and playful like Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's just shit. Do you mean a literal pink unicorn? Yeah, a literal pink unicorn. Okay. Um, so, apparently, it's like, fetish, pink unicorn. And then, as this guy's packing up from jail, you see him pack a pink unicorn. Oh, it's not a real unicorn. Though. No, it's not a real unicorn. That's what I was asking. Oh, no, not quite. No, there's only just a giant witch, that's all. Alright, Yeah, I can buy that. Uh, so, yeah, there's, like, this pink unicorn that he packs into his, like, jacket. It's like, like a, a plushie or something? Yeah, or my like, little pony? So, if this is the jacket, right? This is my hoodie that I have now unzipped. He, like, packs it in here, right by his chest, over his heart. Yep. Right? So then later in the film, we get the reminder where it falls out and then he goes and picks it up very obviously and very consciously. He's like, got to keep unicorn. And so you're like, okay, something's going to happen with that unicorn. So then a guy comes over, stabs him in the chest right here. And then you go, oh, I get it because it got stopped by the giant wad of cash. (laughs) And you're like, okay. I actually like that. It's like, you're subverting, but at the same time, that shit. (laughs) I don't know that. Based on your description, that works for me. No, but it's like, it's, it's, like a, so... it's like a rule of threes thing. Yeah, but at the same time... Are you familiar <sighs> with the rule of threes in comedy? Yeah, where it's like first time, second time, different. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, but then why was the unicorn there in the first place? To why did you... The, to set up the bait and switch. But no, because it's like, oh yeah, you're subverting. But at the same time... Okay, we're, we're getting off track. <sighs> Let's get back to Jojo. Yeah. What are our highlights and lowlights of this episode? Ooh. For my highlight, I think I will take... JPP's uh, rad pose as he's talking about how he's going to kill Dio or yeah. whatever. Uh, avenge his sister, rather. The borderline infeasible by physical reality, but also brilliant aesthetic. Mm. Okay, well, I want to go with the bit where Joseph is squeamish and he's like, oh, I got it up. And there's just tentacles. <laughs> yeah. Just right there. And he's all like, I'll oh, be quiet, old man. <laughs> it's like, no, make it stop. Any thoughts for lowlights? The bit where Chariot. Silver Chariot. Sil- Silver Chariot. 
where it just explodes. Yep. Because it feels like it could have just fallen apart instead of exploding. But the noises that it made were very odd to me. It was sort of like a pew! Okay. Yeah. Not, much, not much to go on in this episode, no. Arian Lowlights. No, not there? really. No. Um, for my money, I will take the sudden dismantling of that sort of clock cliffhanger they established last yeah. time. Where it's like, you know, it's a bit far-fetched that this fire clock works, but if you accept that, it's a it's an, it's a cool concept for sort of for, for boasting. Yeah, and then true. at the start of this ap- episode, Abdullah's just like, nah. I, I can control fire, bro. Including my own fire. Mm. Yeah, it seemed a bit anticlimactic. But at the same time, we got set up to go outside. Yeah, go to the Tiger Bomb Garden. Tiger Bomb Garden. Yeah, which was good. In the end, we all won. Except for Polnareff, who... But he won the moral battle because his mind is his own again. Uh, it's not a real battle, though. <laughs> you can't... He, won, he won the battle against Dio in his head. Yeah, but you can't get your face sliced off in a moral battle. Well, maybe. Uh, depends how I have hand it gets. Yeah, true. Anywho, uh, it's time for the segment of the show in which I ask you, Nick Ballantyne, what's going to happen next time on part three of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders. For your edification, mm-hmm. the title of the next episode is Dark Blue Moon. Okay, I have no idea. Well, if you recall, <laughs> at the end of this episode, they are boarding a boat chartered yes. by the Speedwagon Foundation. Yes. And they are on their way to Egypt to kill Dio. Through the Silk Sea, or whatever it was. The Silk, Silk Road. Silk Road. Silk Road, yes. So either we're going to get a guy who pops out of the ocean and mm-hmm. stops them on the boat, so then we have another boat battle. Boat battle! Another boat battle? Yeah, another boat battle. Uh, or we're going to reach some kind of port. Oh, yeah. Or some kind of canal or something that they're going to have to go through. In between Africa and um, Europe. Basically, you mean it'll either be on their way to wherever they're going next, or it'll be when they arrive to the next stop off. Yeah, um, because there's that one bit uh, that leads across the Middle East into Africa. Oh, the um, the strait they're going through. Yeah. So there might be like some. Also, that that geography was way wrong for where they're going <laughs> because they're going south through like Malaysia. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, well. In that case, no checkpoints. <laughs> so yeah, we're either going to get another boat battle where a man is in the sea. Why do you keep saying another boat battle? Well, I mean, you know, there have been many boat battles so far. Uh, the boat of reason, the boat of John, <laughs> the moral boats. Oh yeah, that was the, the thing that Jonathan and Dio were on. Was it? You remember the steamship at the end of part one? Yeah, that boat. It's a boat battle. <laughs> I guess it was. I guess you, you show me. I guess you're now the person who knows everything about Johto, and I'm the person experiencing everything for the first time. So what I think is going to happen next time is... <laughs> um, yeah, so if they're headed... Well, if they're not headed the way I thought, then it's probably not going to be a boat battle. It's probably going to be like, ah, yes, we've arrived in this stop-off point to get supplies because we're on a small boat and we don't have time to not do this. Mm-hmm. So then we're going to get another cultural lesson, probably, from... Uh, Kakuin. Mm-hmm. I imagine it will be a lot less European focused this time because part two was very much we're in Europe. Yeah, there's. I think you can probably conjecture based on their route that there's yeah. not really any. Also, the fact that the author is very uh, Japanese. He's probably. It seems much easier to go from Japan to Hong Kong than Japan to America and London and all these different mm. European places. Geographically and possibly culturally yeah. more. Yeah. So he could just go in there and be like, hey, I don't really speak. Chinese, but I do speak Japanese. They're like, well, I hate you, but I do understand what you're saying. Maybe you should learn Chinese in order to... Nick, where are you going with this? I'm just saying, if you're in China and you're like, I can't speak Chinese, and they're like, ugh, alright, fine. But why is this relevant to what's happening next time? Because they might end up somewhere they don't speak the language. Okay. And then they'll be like, ugh, well, lucky for you, I speak Japanese. Although, to be fair, Polnareff speaks fluent Japanese. As does Joseph. 
As does Joseph. As does Abdul. Yeah. Yeah, right, never mind. <laughs> okay, um, so you think they're going to arrive somewhere and get... And get jumped. And any thoughts about what form the stand battle could take? Hmm. Will it involve the two hand, two right-handed man? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I reckon that's going to... God, that's going to take so long. It's going to be like the Princess Bride would take forever to resolve. So, Dark um, Blue Moon. Dark Blue Moon. Is Moon a tarot card? Yes. Right. So, the Dark Blue Moon will be the stand name. I'm on it. I'm on it, see? Even though you've told me before. It's usually the name of the stand <laughs> in that episode. So, Dark Blue Moon. Okay. Well, knowing that the moon is not going to be a literal thing, the moon probably represents some but kind what of shit. What cast. if it's just the moon from Majora's Mask? Oh, no. Ooh. You have three days now. You're like, what? I thought we had 47. Not three. Yeah, I reckon it's going to be something to do with, like, change or something. Okay. Dark Blue Moon is probably going to be non-personal. Like a non-personific, like, fied thing. Non-anthropomorphic? Yeah, non-anthropomorphic one. And then Joseph will be like, but then how do we beat it? And then Abdul will be like, that's how we fucking beat it. Snap the his neck. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Maybe we'll... I don't think we're going to see Polnareff use his stand for a little while, because... He just had an whole episode about it. Yeah. We might see Kakuin not use his stand, and then we might see Jojo use his stand again, because we haven't seen him use his stand in... A while. A while. It's been a minute. Yeah. Either that, or we're going to start seeing combinations of stats. Oh, yeah. There are some team battles. Yeah, because we've seen a lot of solo battles, and then we had uh, the Black Tower. Tower of Grey. Tower of Grey, that's the one. But none of them really The Dark Tower, starring Idris Elba. (laughs) But none of them really, like, used multiple stands together. (laughs) So I reckon next episode might be the start of that, because we now have the full ensemble. We have a whole bunch of stands to come, and now we'll start seeing them used together. Yeah, all right. right. That seems pretty comprehensive. Yeah. You see, you see my trouble here, right? I want to try to tell me how I give wrong. you enough that every episode's thing isn't. Oh, they just go to the next place in their journey and have a stand battle. Yeah, because it seems like. So I, I'm trying to ask you like some coaxing questions. <laughs> it feels like it's going to be very much like a okay. Now we have a stand battle. Okay, now we have a stand battle. Yeah. Okay, now, which seems good. Like it's a good anime thing. You know, it's kind of like Dragon Ball Z, but without the 50 episodes of filler. Ooh, who would have thought that could be a thing? Uh, it's literally just Beyblades. Uh, I'm powering up to end the podcast. I didn't say stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that brings us to the end of our show. Oh. If you want to uh, correspond with us, reach us at judgespodcast at gmail.com or judgespodcast on Twitter. Uh, if you want to correspond with me, specifically say, this is just for Nick. Yep. Liam will read it anyway, but say it anyway. <laughs> Until next time. To, to be, be continued. continued.